What was her name? Because she has one. She is a person and she has likes and dislikes, dreams and goals. She carries a vision for her future. She has purpose, meaning she matters and her story matters. She deserves to be heard. But what happened to her? Do you know her story? Because she has one and it deserves to be shared. She deserves to be listened to. And I'm here to tell it to you. Hey guys, and welcome to What Was Her Name? I'm your host, Maya Hooper. On today's episode, I am joined here with my guest, Niera. Um, I've prayerfully chosen specific women for this season because I really want our listeners to be able to um, just understand like what I'm creating here. Uh, You know, What Was Her Name is more than just a podcast. Uh, It's a space that I've opened up for women to feel truly accepted and heard. Um, and you know, when you experience a type of imprisonment in, in abusive relationships, like we did, uh, to feel safe and to be listened to, it's really a beautiful thing. Um, I've known from the start of this idea that Niera would be at the front lines. Um, I've known her for only a short time as the result of having shared, you know, my story, uh, publicly, but the insight that she has provided, uh, for me, as well as within Phoenix has been so healing to my spirit. And I'm really just expectant as she comes forward and, you know, shares her story with all of us. Anira, I'm going to go ahead and pass this over to you. Uh, We're listening and you're safe here. And I just really want you to be able to openly uh, share uh, your story with us. So if you'll just start uh, with the introduction. Sure. Um, And I just want to thank you so much for giving women this platform to share our stories because it's just so important um, as victims to speak up. Um, Mm -hmm. So I guess I'll get started with um, my story. So I met him in October of 2013. Um, I met him through a mutual friend who um, had moved to Virginia where he was living and kind of introduced us. Um, and he called me one day and he was like, you know what, I think I found your husband. Mm -hmm. And so I gave him a chance. And from the start, my ex seemed wonderful. He seemed absolutely incredible. So I was very interested and pursued the relationship and then eventually moved, um, to Virginia to be with him. Um, and then I guess, um, that was, about eight years ago. So I've um, been out of the relationship for about, it's kind of hard, the timeline is a little crazy, about two to three years, um, free from the physical abuse, but um, one year from the emotional abuse. Mm. Um, so so how it started um, was, I guess it would it started on the wedding night leading up to the wedding. There wasn't really anything abnormal. Looking back, I don't really see many red flags, 
Um, I guess if I looked hard enough, I could have. Um, so I moved from Virginia to New York in March of, um, no, from New York to Virginia in March of 2014. And from that moment, I was completely isolated. He convinced me that my friends and family were toxic and that I no longer needed to talk to them. And he brought me into his church, which ended up facilitating a lot of the emotional, spiritual abuse and control. Um, we we were in a um, newlywed group and a lot of the things said in there a lot gave him this kind of feeling like he had complete control over me and that I had to be submissive in ways that were not biblical. And, you know, he had taken that so out of contact, out of context. Um, and then it really did start on our wedding night. Um, he made comments about other women that I've never heard him make before. And then I believe when it came to actually having sex on our wedding night, it was a bit forceful. It didn't feel as consensual as it should have, and it didn't feel special. Yeah. Um, so it was a bit of physical abuse mixed with um, a sexual assault that night. But I, I didn't that night really understand that what was happening was wrong. Right. Um, so when I did realize something was wrong, it was four months later. Um, we got into a really big fight uh, and it was about money. Um, and that was the first time that he, there was a, you know, a huge physical altercation. Um, you know, he, he had tackled me and was hitting me and punching me and saying horrible things to me. Um, he eventually pepper sprayed me, um, he, what led up to the pepper spraying was I was so shocked by the abuse that when it seemed like it was dying down and when I had a moment, I ran into the kitchen and I grabbed a knife and I like made myself as small as I could in the corner. And I was never going to use the knife against him. I kind of was just like, this is a sign to like, stay away from me. Right. Um, and then he ended up pepper spraying me to get me to drop the knife because I refused to. I, I had told him I'm not going to use this against you. I just want you to leave me alone and I'll put the knife down. But he saw that as a threat. So he pepper sprayed me and then used the knife um, to intimidate and scare me. He didn't cut me or anything that night. He just was holding it to me. Um, and through that altercation, the police were called. Um, police and um, EMS showed up and I was taken to the hospital and he was arrested that night um, and eventually let out and all charges were dropped because he was a first time offender. Yeah. So um, actually that night when I was in the ambulance, the EMT said to me, he was like, you know what? You've only been married for four months. I think you should leave. He told me it was never going to get better, that the abuse was going to get worse. And he had seen it so many times um, and he said, it wasn't, I wasn't in that deep that I could get out. And I wish I had listened to him, but when, when it's so early and when it's the first time, I feel like some women, myself included, you just don't know how big of an issue is and you think you can fix them mm. and you could save that. Um, but when it goes that far, there's really nothing you can do. Yeah. And you're not responsible for saving that person. 
Um, so I guess um, here, I'm going to share three um, experiences in my abuse journey. Wow. And I, I, sorry, I, I wanted to just uh, like, yeah, just to note what, what you had said, like to respond to that. I like, I want this to be just really where you can share your story. So that's why I'm kind of silent and taking a step back because sure. I feel like for our listeners to hear it's really like a dialogue, right? Like you are sharing your story with us. And so I want to just like, uh, listen really. Um, but I did want to say that I think just to note, like, you know, even four months in and having something like this happen, uh, I can just so resonate with that thought of like, I can fix this. Yeah. you really think you minimize it. Right. And you, you know, it's not always bad. And so you think that you can resolve it if you do X, Y, Z or read, read a certain book or just like, you know, be forgiving and, and, and move past it and try to help them. And it's really like, I think where a lot of women get stuck in this cycle because, there's that thought, like I can resolve this and I can fix this. And you just eventually, you know, time continues and and nothing changes. And I think all of us as like victims and then, you know, survivors come to this like realization. I know for me where I was like, whoa, like there's nothing that I can do to solve this problem. Like it has actually nothing to do with us, but everything to do with them and their you know, their, their junk and what they need to come to terms with in their own life, you know? And I think it also depends on the environment that you're in. Um, You know, with being in the church, I was told I needed to pray more um, and I needed to read my Bible more and be more devoted and he needed to do the same. And I needed to you know, be more submissive. It was kind of turned around on me. Like this was your fault. Yeah. Um, you know, you weren't being submissive enough. So that's why he had to do this or you weren't making enough money. So that's why he did this. So it was always, it's your fault. Mm -hmm. And then when I brought it up to him, he was like, well, I have a problem and you need to help me. And my thought was, oh, I made vows to this man. Exactly. Yeah. I can't break my vows. I need to help him like in good times and bad in sickness and in health. So, you know, after four months being newly married, I didn't feel like I had any other choice, but to help him. And it's wild because it's really like the amount of times that I've heard someone say this and like that they're given this backwards advice makes me like sick to my stomach because it's like, it couldn't be farther from the truth and, and farther from the father's heart and desire, right. For his daughters. But, um, I like, I just resonate and relate so much to that. Like having had that same exact advice that, you know, you're, you're now married to this person and there's this level of responsibility, right. That you have to them to, to stick by their side, 
Um, even though, you know, you were held uh, with a knife and he pepper sprayed you and in assault, you know, it's like, it's wild, but like, this is why, this is why we're doing like this. This is why you're sharing your story because there's, there's so many stories just like, like with the same experiences, obviously different, you know, not to like minimize your experience or mine, but there's so many people going through this and we're not talking about it. And mm-hmm. if we're not talking about it, then like, who is, you know, like, so anyways, but I'd love for you just to go into your, uh, experiences in your, in your journey. But I just wanted to take note of that and let you know also like why I've been silent. So, yeah, of course. Um, and then, you know, just to go off of what you said, I think, unfortunately there does seem to be an issue, you know, in a lot of churches where they're just not trained and not experience enough in domestic violence. So I think they're just not sure how to handle it. And so they just go with how they would handle any other situation um, when it comes to marital issues, but it, it, those things just don't work when there's abuse present. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know everybody's afraid to afraid of divorce, but sometimes that's what has to happen in these situations because it's never going to get better. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'll go into my experiences. Um, so I don't remember the year of this. Um, I I do have a hard time kind of identifying certain abusive situations because at some point it all just kind of comes together. Um, but I believe, you know, in, in the list of three, this one does come first. Um, so this was a really, bad night um, of violence and emotional abuse. Um, The fight started about money like they do in most relationships, unfortunately. Um, I remember I ran into the bedroom and I tried to hide in the closet, which was something I tried to do often. Um, I just wanted to get away from him. Um, And he, he always came after me, um, and he found me and, um, he started pulling my hair and he was punching my head and my jaw. Um, I initially thought my jaw was broken because it was so painful. I'd never felt anything like that. Um, I did end up going to the hospital and it was bruised, but not broken, but I did have a concussion. Um, I did manage to get away from him in the closet. And I ran into the bathroom where there was a linen closet and I tried to barricade myself in there, but that didn't last either. Um, so at that point he started, um, verbally abusing me calling me names, telling me I was worthless, that I should die, that he wanted to kill me. Um, and that I was a horrible person and, you know, basically every horrible thing you could say to a human. Uh, I think I've blocked a lot of them out now, uh, just cause it's, it's too, it's too heavy to carry around. Um, I was hysterically crying and, and I was, I was praying out loud to God to make it stop because I, I didn't know what to do. It just wasn't stopping. Um, and as he was telling me I was a horrible person and that I should die, I kept on saying, I'm not a horrible person and I do not want to die. And I really broke that night. And I just kept on repeating the same things over and over and over again. 
as I'm like crying and sobbing and he was standing there recording the entire thing. Jeez. And I'm confident that to this day, he still has that recording. Um, throughout our relationship, he would bring it up and play it multiple times and laugh. Mm-hmm. Um, he wouldn't show it to me. He would just sit there and find, you know, amusement from it, which really made me sick. Um, so I eventually, when that did stop, I ended up calling his mother for help. Um, I just didn't know what to do. This was after, you know, probably months of abuse. I think it was definitely within the first year that we were together. Um, I told her everything that had happened. She actually came over and completely shut me down. She didn't want to hear any of it. She wanted to blame me for what caused the fight and what caused him to get so angry. Um, and honestly, that just made things worse from there on out because he not only was the church supporting his behavior, but so was his family. Yeah. And I didn't realize how damaging that was at that moment. Um, so was this, was this the first time that you had asked, like, was that the first time that his family was aware that you guys were having issues like this? um, No. So when he was arrested, um, that night, you know, four months into our marriage, um, I called her in the middle of the night. I didn't go into detail about what happened. Um, and I, I, I needed help because I needed to bail him out of jail. Right. My mind sat that night was I need to help him and protect him instead of me. So, um, she kind of knew what was happening And she, she blamed me that night because she picked him up from jail and she was like, you know, he has some scratches on him Hmm. and just completely disregarding the condition that I was in. I mean, if you're trying to defend yourself and get away from someone, you know, they might have a few scratches on them because, you know, but what they're doing to you is so much worse. Right. Um, So they kind of knew that there was something going on, but they didn't know to what extent. Yeah, I think it's probably, I feel like, yeah, I don't mean to keep saying like, gosh, I resonate, but it's just, I think it's just every time that I hear stories, it's like, it's really wild to me, just like the similarities, because I think when you're in it, I don't know if you can relate to this, but you just feel like it's so unique to you. Like Mm -hmm. nobody else is going through this. And then you come out and you share and you hear other people's stories and they're different but they're also very similar in the sense that like, you know, I, you know, speaking up and then being shut down and you would think that it would be a safe space with family. Right. But like a lot of families are not willing to, they're not willing to like accept or face that like there's an issue. So they'll often quiet. And I experienced this as well. And so it just makes me so sad to like hear you in that time and to think that this was a portion of your life where like you're crying out for help and somebody is, is minimizing it and, and, you know, ignoring you. It just, it breaks my heart. Yeah. And it was, um, you know, I, I kind of understand why they were, um, defending him. That's their child. Mm -hmm. Um, and you don't want to think the worst of your own child, but at the same time, if you're hearing such horrific things, And 
they actually saw things. They saw him, you know, they didn't see the worst of the abuse, but they saw him lunge at me. They saw him verbally abuse me. Um, they witnessed a lot of what happened. And then towards the end, they facilitated a lot of the abuse. Um, so they are just as culpable of this as he is, honestly, mm. you know, and then they would also bring up the fact they were like, well, imagine if you guys didn't get married, if you hadn't met, how would things be different? And my response was, well, you know, that's not the reality I'm living in. So how about we work on this it's reality happening? Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So my, my next experience jumps several years. Um, so probably from 2015 to 2019 and honestly in that time period it was um just a lot of physical abuse um kind of the same it always started with him tackling me to the ground um punching me calling me names threatening to kill me um either, you know it became my everyday life it was so normal to me that I really didn't think much of it, honestly. I just, I kind of shut down and tried to survive. I learned what to do and what not to do, how to not anger him um, and, you know, how to stay alive during that time because that's all I could do. Um, I wasn't ready to leave because I was so controlled and isolated. Um, and I, he broke me down so much. My self-esteem was, it didn't exist. You know, I didn't think that I could be by myself. I didn't think that I could survive without him because that's how he made me feel. Um, so yeah, so fast forward to 2019. Um, this, this incident really started off as just a normal kind of accident. We had a very small kitchen. Um, I was throwing something away in our utility room um, and it was right by the refrigerator. So I opened the door um, to come out, I believe. And it hit, he was opening the refrigerator and the door hit his bowl, making it fall. Um, he had some rice and he had a fork. And when it fell, that angered him so much that he shoved me back into the utility room and lunged toward me towards my face with a fork. Mm. Um, I ended up blocking my face with my hand and the fork went into my hand. Oh my gosh. Um, I was completely shocked that this happened. Um, I honestly, like when I saw the fork coming towards me, I didn't think that he was actually going to stab me. Um, but clearly that was his intention. Um, and he immediately told me that it was my fault that I shouldn't have hit the bowl that I shouldn't have been in the kitchen with him at the same time or you know and then he was like just take the fork out and I was like it you know it's not going to come out it was in there pretty far um so we went to the emergency room and his mother showed up and the entire time like his mother's taking pictures of my hand and of me sitting there sobbing and he's telling her it was just an accident and a nurse comes in and she asks me, do I feel safe at home? Was this an accident while he was sitting in the room? Yeah. So obviously I didn't feel safe um, to tell her what the truth was. And when 
anyone would come into the room and ask what had happened, he would jump right up and tell them the story that he had made up. And there was nothing I could say. And while people are making jokes about it and trying to make light of it, I'm just sitting there just completely in shock by what happened and running through my mind. What if I didn't block my face? Yeah. So, Um, oh, I just wanted to ask you, um, you said something when you were explaining the story, you had, you had said uh, he when he stabbed you, he said to you, if only you wouldn't have knocked the rice bowl out of my hands, none of this would have happened. Yeah. You in that time period, did you feel like kind of, did you feel that blame? Were you like, yeah, dang it. I shouldn't have done that. Or were you kind of like, no, this is your fault. Like, I'm just curious where, what were you thinking when it, when When it, yeah, sorry. When it initially happened, I was in, Sorry, can we pause this real quick? Yeah, of course. Yeah. My dog broke in the room and is just needing attention. He thinks he's an emotional support companion. <laughs> I'm just going to kick him out real quick. Okay. Um, like- <laughs> Don't worry about it. I feel like this is unfiltered. Like, it's. <laughs> yeah, he. He does this when I'm in therapy. Anytime he thinks that he needs some extra attention, he comes in and then demands attention from me. So sorry if there's dogs barking or anything, but it's just real life. Yeah, it's real life. It's okay. Okay. Yeah. All good. Yeah. So, uh, all right. So we were talking about, um, did I feel any of the blame? Right. Um, So when it first happened, I was in such a state of shock that I think I did, I apologized to him. You know, I, I also felt like I wanted to deescalate the situation. Hmm. I didn't want it to go any farther than it, it had. So I think I apologized to him and just tried to focus on going to the emergency room. He didn't want to, he wanted, he took me into the bathroom and tried to help me get the fork out, but it wasn't coming out. Um, Also, you know, if you're impaled by something, you're not supposed to remove it. Um, So Mm. I, I think when I realized that this wasn't my fault, that this was intentional and it wasn't an accident because he was so convincing in the emergency room that it was an accident. I almost was convinced. Right. Um, he was convincing, trying to like almost convincing you because it was so. Yeah. He convinced nurses and doctors and surgeons and everyone that it was just a freak accident. And no one questioned it further besides the nurse that asked those questions. But I felt like that was just her job. Mm-hmm. Um, but she did it, you know, incorrectly. She should have had him leave the room when she asked that because no one's going to, you know, admit that they're, they don't feel safe at home or that this was abuse if the abuser sitting right there. Right. And I feel like, um, yeah, like, you know, it's like protocol for them to say like, Hey, do you feel safe at home? Is everything okay? Um, I remember, I remember being in, you know, in that state of mind in situations where I was in doctor's appointments, uh, and them asking me, like, do you feel safe at home? And just resonating with you saying, like, I just wanted to scream, like, I am not safe, you know, but 
just the manipulation and, and really just, I think even in prior you explaining how he's really been destroying your self-esteem along the way makes you less confident in, in yourself, but also in the situations that you're experiencing, right? Because you're like, it's like a different, rea- like you have this reality and then he has a whole different reality that he is projecting onto you. That's actually not happening, but it, it gets really confusing and it, it gets like your mind is like, uh, what's the word? Like, I always felt like I just couldn't tell which way was up and which way was down because I was always so confused. Exactly. I, I always felt like I didn't know what the truth was. I didn't know who I was. I didn't know what was happening because there's so much manipulation and gaslighting um, and so much control that you think that you're wrong in every situation that you just feel crazy. Like you're losing your mind, you know? Yeah. You, you can sit there and scream like, this wasn't my fault. This was an accident. And he screamed back at you. No, this was your fault. You deserved this mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or you caused this or whatever it was. It was never, he never took responsibility for anything. It was always, this is your fault. I'm abusing you because that's what you want. Right. Because if you didn't want it, why would you do these things? Right. And then you start to think, okay, I have to behave a certain way and and walk on eggshells or else right like like the abuse is going to happen again um and you you begin to like alter your actions and the way that you are uh for for this person who you know is like causing harm to you i feel like yeah i feel like this process like just hearing the process from even just the beginning of this story to now Um, I, I don't know if you feel this way, but like, I can really see just like the the spiral, like it's very, it's all different, different situations in everyone's stories, but like very similar at the same time, like the uh, behavior and tactics that they use and like the cycle and how it, it really just spirals down downwards and, and really becomes just like, it's just disturbing. Like you just, uh, feel like you're losing your mind, you know? Yeah, I mean, at that point, you you stop living. You're just existing and just going through the motions and getting through the day and trying not to do anything that would upset them. You're not, not, yeah, you're not living a real life at that point. I mean, I was so shut down emotionally that when I left, I didn't know how to have emotions because if I cried, if I was happy, if I was sad, anything, I would be berated. I would be abused. Um, so I learned how to just shut it off and everyone thought I was just a robot because I just didn't know how to have emotions like a normal person. And it has taken about two years before I was able to really start feeling real emotions and knowing what's too much and what's not enough. Um, Yeah. So when I was sitting in that hospital room, I was just so shut down. I mean, the fact that his mother, she was, I mean, I'd said this before, but she was literally taking pictures and sending them to her friends and family. And I was just so shut down. I just didn't care. Mm -hmm. And that was so wrong of her to do it, even if it was an accident right? without my consent. But, you know, 
I had a plastic surgeon who had to come in and take it out. And I ended up having a three inch open wound on my hand because they couldn't stitch it up. Mm -hmm. And for the first day, he was wonderful. He went and got my medications and made sure I was comfortable and took care of everything. You know, so there's like that cycle of abuse where there's like that honeymoon phase and yeah, where they're trying to make up for what they did. But that ended the next day. The next day he was just like, you know, I don't want to look at it. It's so disgusting. I don't want to hear how much pain you're in. I just, I don't want to deal with this. It's annoying to me. He was like, anytime I got sick, it was annoying to him. It was inconvenient to him. It didn't matter how I felt. Um, so he, he didn't abuse me until my hand was healed. Fortunately, that took a few months, but I mean, not physically anyways, he abused me, you know, emotionally and every other type of abuse you can do besides physical, um, you know, cause he just didn't care. There was no consequences for his actions because no one believed that this was abuse. Right. Right. And I got so angry because that didn't make sense to me. That didn't make sense that he wasn't in jail. He wasn't arrested, but I also was so helpless during that time because you know, this was a fork that had been in his mouth, been in food. I was on heavy antibiotics. I was on heavy painkillers. I couldn't, I couldn't use my left hand or arm or anything. I was completely dependent on him for a lot of things because I mean, I just didn't know that losing the use of one of my hands would be so debilitating. Mm. Um, so I needed him to do basic things like brush my hair and help me pull up my pants. Cause I couldn't do that with one hand. Yeah. Um, so as much as I wanted him to have consequences for those actions, I also realized that there couldn't be at that time because you need, you needed him, right? Yeah. I was completely dependent on him because that's how he made me. I couldn't have friends. I couldn't have family. I couldn't have anybody coming over to help me. It had to be only him. Um, so I was left in this situation where I could have pressed charges if I wanted to, but I, I also realized that there was no chance that that would happen. Right. Um, Yeah. So then into the next experience, um, this one actually, so a lot of what happened in this happened for years, um, but it really kind of escalated and came to this point after um, my hand healed. So in 2019 um, was when things were really starting to break down. And where I was starting to get clarity of what was really happening in my relationship. Um, so for years, he had threatened to kill me. Um, this would be a daily occurrence. You know, it would be my birthday and he would just turn to me and he would say, I'm going to kill you tonight. You know that, right? Um, he he really didn't want me alive at all. He, I would wake up every single morning and he would turn over to me and he was like, Oh, so you're still alive. You're still here. And then he was like, like, I thought beating you would make you leave. He just, he wouldn't, he didn't want to be the one to end the relationship. He wanted me to do it. So he thought by threatening to kill me and by abusing me, I would leave. But 
what he didn't realize is in that cycle of abuse and with that narcissism, you create someone who's so dependent on you, they can't leave. Right. Um, so that lasted for about two years, maybe three. Um, and then everything switched and it was, it was interesting what happened at this time. So we were living in one city and he had a completely different job. And then after three years, we moved to a different city in the same state and he started a different job and that job gave him so much more confidence. He was happier. Um, He had a lot of friends that he liked. He thought he was doing so well. So once that happened, he realized he didn't want to kill me anymore because then he would go to jail for the rest of his life. So he decided that he wanted me to kill myself. Mm. And so every single day he would tell me how worthless I was, how there's no point of living that no one would miss me. Um, he made me feel so worthless. And then he would go to the extent where he would lock me in the bathroom and there would be pills in there, or there would be a knife Um, or my blow dryer and he would stand outside the door and he would try to talk me how, how, talk me through how to kill myself. Mm. And he told me that he would be there until I died and that he would take care of everything after it happened. Um, and this was almost daily for about two years. Oh my gosh. And it was like, he didn't, he realized like I, he didn't want to go to jail and he knew that people were going to defend him and and believe him, but he was, he had dragged you down to a point where like you essentially like you were drawn to the end of yourself and he wanted you to do it so that he didn't have to face the consequences. Yeah. He didn't want to give up his lifestyle. He didn't want to lose anything or face any consequences. So it was just at that point, easier for me to kill myself. Right. You know, I mean, it wasn't a secret that I was depressed. Um, And I was depressed because of him, Right. but I didn't talk about it. So no one really knew why I was depressed, but everyone could tell. So I don't know that it would have been that much of a stretch if I had killed myself. I don't know that anybody would have questioned him. I hope they would have, but um, yeah, it was quickly. So, sorry. So what did, I'm just curious, like, what did the depression look like for you? Because I, I also, I fell into like a really deep depression and I'm always curious, like how it manifested in like, what, what was it for you? Like, I know depression that often for me felt like a dark cloud, but I also had like behavior and actions that I feel like came from being depressed. Like, how did you cope? Um, so for me, I, again, I was so shut off. Like I, I wasn't talking to people. Um, I had a few friends that were approved by him and I wasn't talking to them any longer. I wasn't cleaning my home. I wasn't taking care of myself. I also wasn't able to keep a job for very long. Mm -hmm. I was in such a bad mental state. Like I just, I would start a new job and I'd be so excited because I was able to get out of the house and spend time away from him. But then I just got to the point where I just couldn't even do that. Yeah. And 
some days I couldn't get out of bed, but also sometimes I couldn't sleep. It was so draining on me. I just, I just couldn't function normally. I couldn't do everyday tasks. Um, and thought like cross your mind, like since I could imagine like it did, but like, did you feel that like three, like, I just don't want to live anymore. So I didn't feel like I wanted to take my own life, but I also didn't feel like I wanted to be alive. If that made sense. Like, right. Like I didn't want to be alive, but I also didn't want to be dead. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to stop existing and I wanted everything to go away. Right. Um, I wanted to be freed from it. I mean, he was like, like you were literally being held. I feel like cap, like captive. Like, I don't know if you, like in that first episode, I mentioned like a woman drowning as like an example of abuse and how like everybody thinks that she's fine. Right. From the outside looking in. Um, but like, she's actually drowning and she like, nobody is hearing her scream and, and flail her arms. Um, and like, you're either going to swim out or you're, you're going to drown. And I feel like in this situation, I mean, like you were really faced with like two options, like either you were going to like have to keep swimming and moving forward, or, you know, you were going to give up. So I think it's incredible hearing like this much of your story and just like the strength that you carry to have endured this and to like, to have like swam out of it because yeah, it's just, it's like mind blowing for me, like listening to this, but continue. I just wanted to, I was just curious. Yeah. Um, it was, I think that was probably the most challenging thing during the entire, um, relationship was feeling like I didn't want to be alive. And I was being told that I should kill myself every single day. And that was a constant battle for me to fight that feeling and to fight what he was saying. Um, Because if I gave up at all, I wouldn't be here because I would have killed myself because of how bad it was. Um, And when you talked about like being imprisoned at, I literally was though, like when we would try, when we would fight or I would just get so sick of things, I would try to leave and he would stand in front of the door. Hmm. I wasn't allowed to go anywhere. Like I could, there wasn't anything I could do to get free. He wanted me dead. And that was it. That was the only way that I could be free. Mm-hmm. Um, but what was happening at the same time was that my hatred towards him was growing so much that I wanted to stay alive just to spite him mm-hmm. because me being alive angered him so much he couldn't stand it yeah and I enjoyed that because why wouldn't I you know he was so abusive and so horrible to me seeing him have just a tiny bit of the pain that I was experiencing is what helped me get through this relationship right because I didn't yeah I didn't want to give him the satisfaction of killing myself because that would have been you know such an incredible feeling for him Mm -hmm. and I didn't want him to have that um so what what was it like where was the turning point where from from this point like how did you manage to get out and like 
what happened? Like, you know? Yeah. So that was really interesting and a crazy turn of events. Mm -hmm. Um, so at the end of 2019, um, so around, this was just a few months after. Yeah. So I, he stopped me in June by October of 2019 is when, um, I left and that was really a crazy few months of my life. He, um, he ended up cheating on me a lot with strippers. Um, Mm -hmm. I didn't really care what their profession was, but he, before I found out he was cheating, he was bringing over this woman claiming that it was his friend. Um, and then told me that she was a stripper and that he wanted to go watch her dance and she wanted to give him a lap dance. And I was so upset by that because that's not what I wanted my husband to be doing. Mm. Um, and the more I resisted, the more he, the more he pushed back against me and the more his relationship with her grew. So he ended up cheating on me. Um, it turns out he'd been cheating on me for a long time. I just didn't know. Um, but this woman really, she really changed everything in my relationship. She was so confrontational to me. Um, she hated everything about me and would come over in the middle of the night and scream at me. One night she was ranting about chicken Parmesan. I, I don't know because I I wouldn't let her sleep with my husband. So she had to yell at me about chicken parm. It was really strange. Yeah. I'm I'm confident she was, they were on drugs as well, but him cheating on me with her really opened my eyes to what was going on because I confided in her one night and I was like, you know what, this is what he's doing to me. If you want that, that's fine. Take it. Cause I can't do this anymore. And she was like, Oh, my husband abuses me too. It's fine. It's just, it's just how men show you that they love you. She said that to you. Yeah. That's wild. She said Some of the craziest things I've ever heard in my life to me. And that was really what was opening my eyes. And I was like, I can't, this is insane. This whole thing is really crazy. Mm. Um, And then there was, I don't remember the date anymore because I've kind of blocked that part out, but there was one night um, in October of 2019 that we got into a fight about this because I was so disturbed and so upset about my husband going to strip clubs and being friends with her. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't want anybody else to know that this was happening, that he was cheating on me. Um, And that led to the worst abuse I've ever had by him. Um, You know, it started like it always did with him tackling me, um, him punching me kicking me calling me names. I tried to leave, um, I tried to run down the stairs because I lived on the second floor and he pulled me by my hair all the way back up into the apartment. Um, He choked me to the point where I couldn't breathe. Mm. Uh, I'm not sure if I passed out or not because I don't remember. Um, But I also remember the next day, like I could barely talk. Um, And my, um, my esophagus was bruised. Um, but what actually led to our relationship ending was 
towards the end of the fight, I ran into the, into the bedroom, into the closet, like I always had. And he came in with a knife. Um, and he held the knife to my back and he was pushing it into my back. And I, I still remember that feeling. Um, and I was begging him to stop, to not kill me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was holding on to this bar in my closet that was, you know, holding my clothes and it snapped in half and it fell. And that, um, in that second, it's like he snapped out of this psychotic episode that he was having. His eyes were literally black and he had very light blue eyes. It was the scariest thing. And I'd witnessed that many times before. Um, and there was always something that would just snap him out of it. And it was the bar. And it's, it's interesting that you say that because I also actually like, I feel like I don't mean to keep saying me too, but I feel like it's just so powerful. Like whenever I hear things and I'm like, whoa, like I have just these like full circle moments as well. And I feel like I remember very similarly, like, like just empty eyes. Um, Like there's just nothing there. And it's just like, not even the person. Yeah. You don't recognize them. them. Yeah. So go ahead. I just, I'm like, <laughs> I'm getting emotional. I'm just like, Oh, it's just, it's just heavy stuff. Um, yeah. keep going. Yeah. Sure. So, um, when the bar broke, he dropped the knife. Um, well, he lowered his hand with the knife and I took my chance and I ran out of the room and I ran out of the apartment and I, I didn't have my purse or my keys. I did have my phone, fortunately. And I called the cops and that was the first time I'd ever done that. Hmm. Um, and they came to the house and they talked to both of us and he told a completely different story than I did. Um, you know, and they didn't do anything. The, one of the police officers told me that if I wanted to press charges, I could go to the magistrate, um, or else, you know, this was just a domestic incident and we're telling two different stories and there was nothing that they could do. Mm. So the end, but they did ask him to leave the apartment and told him to go stay with friends for the night that clearly the situation had escalated and it wasn't healthy for either of us to be in the home together and that we should think about separating. Um, so that's all they said. So once he left the apartment, I, I remember sitting down at the table and really thinking about what I was going to do because I realized in that moment, if I left and I went to the magistrate that I was ending my marriage. There was no turning back at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I really had to think about that because I was absolutely terrified. I didn't know what I was going to do, but I was terrified of him because if that bar didn't break, he would have killed me. Yeah. He was, you know, he had gotten past the point of wanting me to kill myself that night. He was, I was interrupting his life. I was trying to take something away from him. Mm. I wasn't allowing him to cheat on me, you know? So that enraged him so much that I was trying to, as he would say, control his life. He wanted to kill me. Mm. So I realized things had changed and it was so dangerous for me to be in this relationship that I wasn't going to survive it. Um, so I really thought over everything and I ended up going to the magistrate and I pressed charges and he was, this magistrate was so incredible. Um, there was one point where I, 
I didn't want to continue. I didn't want to press the charges. Um, and he just looked at me. He was like, you almost died tonight. Mm. And he said, this will never get better. And if you go back to him, he will kill you. Yeah. He was like, I've seen this so many times. It doesn't get better. And so I continued pressing charges and he was, um, gave me an extended protection um, order, which was wonderful because it gave me some more time, I thought. Um, And then, yeah, it was over. There There was no turning back at that point. And I wasn't, I didn't feel a sense of relief and I didn't feel that relief for years afterwards, but going home, I realized I don't know what happens next. And I was absolutely terrified. I just ended my marriage and I didn't know what, how he was going to react. I didn't have a plan at all. I didn't have money put aside and I didn't know if I had a place to go because I wasn't talking to my friends and family. Um, But the next morning, the locks on my apartment were changed by him. My bank account was empty. All I had was whatever was in my purse and a bag of clothes that I had um, because I was planning on going somewhere. I just didn't know where. Um, Fortunately, one of my friends um, took me in and I just had to figure it out from there. You know, I was absolutely terrified, but at the same time, I had the most courage I'd ever had in my life. Mm. And I had to hold on to that because I couldn't have gone through the last three years without it. Um, because it is just, at certain points it got worse and certain points it got better, but at the end of the day, we're divorced and I haven't talked to him in a year. So I don't know where I got that courage from that night, but I'm glad I did. Right. I think it's, it's like, I think it's like a miracle um, that that bar snapped. And I think like you said it so perfectly, like if you, if you wouldn't have left, like he would have taken your life. Yeah. It wouldn't be here. Um, and I think despite the lack, the lack in your life, like in a worldly sense, like, you know, lack of money, lack of a home, lack of support system. I feel like, um, the freedom alone to be, to be out of it as terrifying as that is, because you know that there could be and will be repercussions for leaving. Um, it's a powerful, powerful moment, I think, for you and for any survivor to that moment where you really, you just walked out with what you have on your back and like, that's it, you're done, you're out of this. But like, you know, the Lord's really going to have to make a way because like everything in your life has been, you know, depleted. Yeah, uh, yeah I just, I think there comes a point in every abusive relationship where you realize you have to realize that you have to save yourself and no one's going to do it for you. Yeah. And that it's going so far that you are going to die. Like there's so many warning signs that your abuser will kill you if they're, you know, strangling you, if they're using weapons. I mean, those are signs that it's leading to him murdering you. Right. And those were all there time and time again. And I finally woke up one day and realized like, oh, 
this isn't going to end well for me, mm-hmm. but as awful as him cheating on me was, and there's a lot more to that story that I haven't gone into, um, I'm almost grateful for that because that kind of made me see the reality and then also led a way for him to leave the relationship as well. You know, he was clearly checked out of the relationship. He wanted to be with someone else. He still wanted to have that power and control over me, but it wasn't the same. Mm-hmm. So that was my only opportunity to leave. Um, yeah, I I don't know what would have happened if he if that situation didn't happen, but hopefully I would have had the courage to leave um, either way. But I mean, cheating was the best thing that ever happened to my marriage, unfortunately. Um, and sometimes good things can come from bad stuff like that. If, if whatever it takes to wake you up and make you see what's really happening. And I think that's like, honestly, the hardest part with having like walking alongside now, uh, you know, girls in Phoenix and people that I feel like have reached out is like being in that situation and having you having known, like, it really took you coming to the end of yourself for you to get out. Like you had been drawn truly to the end of yourself and, and like knowing that, you know, it, it's hard for me to like fully wrap my mind. I feel like, and really know sometimes like the right things to say to people who are in abusive relationships, because when you're in it, like, it's, uh, it's not, I mean, like hearing it now, right. Like, like he, the stuff that he, he did to you is awful. Like it is horrendous and nobody should ever have to endure like suffering like that. Um, and now hearing it being out of an abusive relationship, you're probably like, yeah, like if some girl will come to you and tell you, Hey, like this is happening. You would, what would you say to her? Like, you'd be like, you know, get out. Like he's gonna, he's gonna murder you. You know, these are, these are tall tale signs of somebody who's going to take your life. But, um, often it takes women having to like really go through it. And, in uh, there, I think there's just a moment where people snap, um, for various reasons. And I, I think that's the most painful part of like this community and this type of, uh, this type of, I mean, domestic abuse is like, there's really no magic word that makes people leave. It's really just like each person's different. And often they're drawn to the very end of themselves. You know, I was, and in, in hearing your story, you were as well, you know? Yeah. But, but I, I also think it is, it's hard to know what to say to someone that's in an abusive relationship because there's really nothing you can say to them to make them leave. You know, yeah. there's this statistic, is it, I can't remember if it's five or seven times that they'll leave and go back before they leave for the last time. Right. Users have so much control over you and have isolated you so much to the point that you don't think you can live on your own, that you, you know, you have no self-esteem. Sometimes you have no money, you know, they have so much control over you that there's nothing anybody can say to you to make you leave until you're ready to do it yourself. Um, because if I would have told someone, if someone would have told me, you know, a year before that, like, you need to get out, you need to leave, let me help you. I would have gone back. 
Right. Because I, because I, I didn't have that moment of clarity yet. Mm-hmm. I needed to see that it was never going to get better, that there was nothing I could do to fix this, that he was sick and that this was his problem. Yeah. And I so, feel like, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. So unfortunately for me, it took, you know, years, um, but it needed to happen that way so that when I got, when I left, I didn't go back. Mm-hmm. You needed to get, you needed to experience it for yourself and I think, I think like each victim is, is they all have to come to that point where, and that's, you know, like I, I keep going back to like the, the water and the drowning, but it's like swimming or, or, or drowning you either swim out or you drown. Like, and it's just so, it's such a, like, like a difficult, I feel like thing to say, like, it sounds harsh, but it's like, it's really true because it's like. Uh, they have to make a decision and it often takes having to go through really, really hard, really, really awful things to finally, to finally leave. Um, You almost have to have the conversation with yourself that, you know, if I stay, I'm going to die, but if I leave, I'll live. And what do I value more? You know, and that that's hard if you have no Mm self-esteem. And you don't feel like there's any point to your life, Mm -hmm. but you have to have those conversations with yourself to get to the point where you leave and you stay away. Um, But, you know, it's hard and I never know what to say to someone that's going through it other than, you know, I understand what you're going through. And if you need someone to talk to you, I'm here for you. And I'm willing to help you however I can, but also you have to understand that they may not leave when they say they will. And it's frustrating, but it's just, unfortunately, it's just how it happens. You can't, you know, when I was in that ambulance after four months of being married to him, you know, I wasn't ready to leave because I thought I could fix it. But after five years of it, I realized I couldn't fix it. Yeah. And I think that's why, like, what was her name is so powerful is because, like, like, each, each, like, survivor has, like, a name, right? And I, and, like, in an identity and, and a a story and, and then a vision for their life and in dreams for their life. And I think, hearing your story and having her just like the, the insane, like trauma that you've experienced, but that you are on the other side of it. And that like, I'd love for you to just like go into really like what your vision and dreams are now and where you're at now, because I think hearing your redemption story has been so encouraging for me specifically because you're on the other side of it. And like, you can truly say to somebody who's experiencing, uh, uh, DV, like, like, like I, I, me too, I was in it, but like now I'm out and there, there is an out, there is redemption, there is a future. Um, and you know, I think people are more susceptible. I was, when I heard people saying me too, um, I listened better because I feel like when people didn't understand, I didn't really, 
I felt like nobody could understand me. And so as painful as your story is, um, there's also God is using it in such a beautiful way. You're allowing him to use it in such a beautiful way. Your testimony right now, as you're speaking, because, um, you're able to resonate and relate with people who have gone through terrible, terrible abuse and, it's a terrible thing to relate to, but it's also a really powerful thing to relate to because you can truly say me too and, and help, um, you know, help other, other women out of it, or even just help them feel a sense of comfort and in healing and knowing that they're not alone. Yeah, that's definitely important. Um, yeah, I can talk about that. Um, first I did want to talk about, um, if it's okay, if I talk about, you know, kind of what I did afterwards, um, that kind of helped me, um, you know, get to the point where I could have visions and dreams. Um, so, you know, I did end up pressing charges and we did end up going to court. Um, it took a few years because of the pandemic, um, and it was extremely painful and it was long and his lawyer was incompetent. Mm -hmm. Um, and there was cross charges. It was such a mess. And there were so many times that I wanted to give up because it just, it was so hard, you know, going to court every few weeks and hearing him tear me apart and hearing his attorney, you know, with this story that, you know, they all say like, she's just a crazy, bitter ex-wife that she's jealous and she made all of this up to get back at him. And that's what I was hearing constantly. But I realized at a certain point, I had to figure out like, why was I still doing this? And why did I still want to pursue this? Because my attorney told me, she was like, you know what? You already won. No matter what the outcome is, you won because you got away and you're not going back. Wow. it's so powerful. Sorry. <laughs> I'm like, yes, it's <laughs> so good. Like, sorry. You're like preaching to me right now. Yeah, because it's going through the core process is so difficult and mm-hmm. it's not set up to help victims. It's really not. It's really set up to help the abusers, unfortunately. And I saw that firsthand and I was so discouraged. And she dealt with domestic violence victims on a daily basis and, you know, really just wanted to make it known to myself that like I won no matter what the outcome is because she realized that I was probably never going to be satisfied with the outcome. Um, So I had to figure out reason why I was doing this and I was doing it because I knew that I wasn't going to be the only one that he was sick and he needed help, but he wasn't capable of getting help, help. So he was going to abuse another woman. Mm -hmm. Um, So I did it for her for the next woman so that when she needs to go to court and she wants to press charges, that it won't be as hard, that she won't have to prove herself so much. And I really hope that she doesn't have to. I hope what I went through and what I did helps her. Mm -hmm. Um, And that lasted up until last year. Um, January of 2021 is when he was, I think in December of... 2020, he was found guilty of just a misdemeanor. Um, He was given six months in jail, but the judge um, 
decided not to actually send him to jail for six months because they didn't want him to lose his job or his apartment or his stability. Um, so it was just going to be good behavior, hmm. which was so frustrating because I was like, I mean, I lost my job and my home and everything I had, but nobody cared. Right. But everybody cared about him losing all of these things. And I just felt like, why do you care about that? I mean, he's the one that did this. He made his choices. Um, he appealed that conviction um, and it was upheld and he was given one year of good behavior and one year of no contact. And that ended a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so he basically just got off with a slap on a wrist and, you know, he has a misdemeanor on his record, but he kept his job and I doubt he'll ever leave. So nothing really happened from that. But during that time of going to court and figure out why I was doing this, um, what was I fighting for knowing that I wasn't going to get what I want was really, it was kind of healing for me in a way. Um, I really thought during this process that I needed that conviction to be able to move on, that my life was like on hold until I got that. But once I realized I wasn't doing this for me anymore and that I had already won in a way, I was able to move on with my life. Mm. Um, And I was able to try to put the pieces back together and figure out for the first time, you know, really in my life, because I do have a lot of childhood trauma and other things that we won't go into. But for the first time in my life, I was able to really think about what I wanted and what I wanted my life to look like. And I have an incredible partner now that gave me the ability and the space and the time to do that. Um, I also was going to therapy and my therapist is incredible and has helped me so much. Um, I I do have complex PTSD from, um, you know, from the relationship, but um, I've found ways to to find joy in my life now and to find real happiness and to work through flashbacks and anxiety and fears. Um, and those that I just didn't have those tools before. So do you feel like it was a turning point for you when you realized what that lawyer had said, like that, like you had already won because you escaped do you feel you feel like that was a turning point for you where you could really start to live your life again yeah I you know I think it was that in the combination of losing everything that I had where I really had to evaluate what was important in my life Mm. and I was able to see you know all these material things they didn't at the end of the day they didn't matter and what his conviction was, wasn't going to change my life at all that I got away from him and I get to live my life the way that I want to. That was such a huge turning point to me. It took a while to get there because, you know, it's hard to lose everything. It's hard to go through the court process and to try to find self-esteem and value after all of that. Um, but I was, I was really able to, and I've surrounded myself with incredible friends and family and, you know, the most supportive partner I could ever ask for. And, you know, I've, 
I fill my days with things that truly make me happy. You know, what my visions and dreams for my life have certainly changed at this point because in November I found out that I was pregnant. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so what I want for my life is very different now. Like I really just wanted to travel and experience everything I didn't get to experience before. Um, I can still do that, you know, probably after pregnancy, cause it's very hard on me. Um, but I get to, you know, I've created such a wonderful life for myself and I get to bring my child into that. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that's been really amazing, um, for me to realize and to realize as she grows up, she's going to grow up with a mother and a father that have a really healthy relationship and to have amazing friends and family around her and show her what real love is so that she doesn't hopefully end up in a abusive relationship. Um, And I, I really want to like point out, I just really feel like from the Lord, like just very strongly, like this thing of like, you created that. Like you created this space, this safe space for you. You said it's a little girl, right? Your daughter, you've created this space for your daughter and you've essentially like created a safe space for her, but you've also stopped the cycle in your own family by being, you know, you, you, our survivor and you're creating something and cultivating something. And it's because of your bravery and your courage, uh, that, you know, your little girl is going to grow up in a safe home and, and she's not going to experience that lifestyle that, that you did or the abuse like you did. I really very strongly believe that and just speak that over, her life and over your family's life because uh, you stop that cycle. Um, and I feel like the Lord is just so, I don't know if proud is even the right word, but I just feel like the Lord is so like, you're just, you're just so brave. And I feel like you really should know that and really know that you making the the decision to leave and, and the decision to fight and the decision to uh, fight for the next woman and to do everything in your power to make sure that you're safe. Like it's just, it's just, it's just so powerful. So. Thank you. I think um, the thing that helped me get to this place, um, like looking back over my relationship and what helped me get through it is just, it's kind of wild to me because every single night um, I would go to sleep alone. We didn't sleep in the same bed. He refused to after a certain point. Um, I would lay in bed at night, often crying, um, but just dreaming of the life I wanted. And I held on to that every single day, that one day I could have the life that I wanted. Um, And, you know, to have a loving, supportive partner, or if I didn't have that, to just like have the freedom to live my life the way that I wanted to, you know, because I didn't have any of that. And I don't know where (laughs) that hope came from, because it's not a life I ever had before. Um, 
maybe it was, you know, watching romantic comedies to help get me through the day is what gave me that hope. I don't know, but I held on to that with everything that I had every single night. And honestly, my life is so much better than what I ever dreamed. Wow. I just, I look at my life and I'm just completely shocked by how it's turned out at this point. And I just, I feel like I'm living in a dream sometimes. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I don't feel like I deserve it, but I do because I did this, you know, Mm -hmm. I lost everything and had to build my life out of nothing. And I mean, I live in a lower penthouse now. (laughs) Like I just, I, I don't, you know, I still don't know how I got the life that I have, but I worked for it and I prayed for it and I wanted it so badly. Mm. And I didn't give up at all because I knew I, that's what I deserved. And I wasn't going to take anything less than that. What do you think, like, what would you say to the people listening right now? I know that there's likely some who are in, in abusive relationships or, uh, you know, maybe just listening because they want to better understand, like, what would be something that you would say as, as like a tip or something that you want to communicate? I would say if you're in an abusive relationship, I think you really need to find a good support system. I know that can be so hard depending on, you know, your abuser and the amount of control they have over you, but, you know, there are, online support groups, there are local organizations that help with domestic violence. And if you're able to get out and away from him or make a phone call to the domestic violence hotline, just, I would say, try to connect with someone, you know, to, to help you and to share your story so that you don't feel so alone and to find that hope and that, and the reason why you want to get out and why you're fighting for it. Yeah. I know it's, it feels so impossible. And once you leave, it feels impossible as well that you feel like nothing's ever going to get better and you're terrified, but if you just keep on fighting, it will get better because you can't, you can absolutely have the life that you want, but it takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of time to get there. But if you surround yourself with the right people and you reach out to support groups and reach out to friends, family, anyone that you can find that will listen to you, that will make all the difference because you don't have to go through this alone. That's so good. And I feel like, yeah, having a healthy, healthy support system is major. I know that for me as well, like it, having my friends, um, and my family, but my friends, I think for the most part, I think, um, and just being able to really, uh, let people in and share your story. Um, I'm really grateful, you know, that you have come on here. I feel super blessed to know you and, um, I was super scared to come out about my story and, I remember seeing a comment from you somewhere on one of my posts and I was like, this comment, like I, like it was just so, it moved me so much. And as you've like been in Phoenix and then now on what was her name, 
I'm just really expectant about like how God is going to use you to help others. And, um, I just want to say thank you for coming on here and sharing your story, because I know that, you know, that's not an easy thing. Like this is real trauma and this is your real life and, and things that you're basically unpacking again, right. To like communicate with total strangers that you don't even know. Um, but I know that God is going to use it. And I just want to say truly thank you for being just like willing to come on here and share, uh, your experience with domestic abuse. Um, and I'm really excited, you know, to be on this journey with you. And although it's like, we relate in such like, like sucky circumstances, I think it's really a testimony of like, just that, um, like ugly things, things that were meant for evil and to harm us. Like we, um, God is bringing something beautiful and something good out of that. And like, we're using that to help others. And so, um, yeah, I just want to say truly thank you from the bottom of my heart. Oh, thank you. I mean, thank you for you know creating this platform. Like I said before, you know, I think it's so important for victims to share their stories. You know, people so easily see us as a statistic. Mm-hmm. Um, also, there seems to be a narrative around the abusers mm-hmm. or, you know, or what did she do wrong? You know, that seems to be like trying to blame us for the abuse. But when we take that back and when we share our stories, you know, it's, that is powerful. Cause we're like, no, there was nothing we did wrong. This is what happened to us. This is what they did to us. And I think the only way that there's going to be change in the justice system, in the social system, anything for people to see domestic violence as a huge issue is when we speak up and we share what is really happening behind closed doors because people don't know, you know, sometimes they want to hear, you know, the terrible details to try to believe us. But, you know, I saw a graphic once where it's like, someone said, oh, well, I was abused. And they're like, okay, show me like, a hundred photos and a hundred pieces of evidence. And then a uh, abuser just saying, well, I didn't do it. And they're like, okay, I guess you didn't, you know, sometimes people want us to prove that it happened with these horrible details, but I think people need to view it differently. You know, you need to hear what happened to us so that you can see that it was real. And so that you can change it because this shouldn't be happening. And these men should not be getting away with it. I know, you know, women can be abusers as well, but men should not be getting a slap on the wrist when they go to court. I think like what you said, you said like, it's not about like, what, what did you say? Like, what did they do? Or like, what did she do? But it's like, no, like, that's not the question. Like the real question is like, what was her name? Like, who is she? Like, what did she go through? Like, what did she have to endure? And like, who is this individual, this person? And I think like, um, you know, even coming out and having shared my story, I've had mostly like good responses, but like, I actually, I had an encounter, like, and we'll talk about this on a different episode. We probably should in this one, but like, um, someone asking me for proof, like asking me for like tangible proof of some of the things that are currently, uh, we're dealing with in court. And I'm like, people think, I feel like people think that they deserve some sort of like tangible proof that like you've been abused. And it's like, 
I, I just like, it's wild to me. I think like, I'm just going to go off on a tangent. I could talk about all this stuff forever. I want to like do an episode just specifically on this topic about like poor reactions from people and the things that people say, maybe not even intentionally all the time, but it's just wrong. Like you just, people don't know how to handle it. I think that's just what people are conditioned to react, how they're conditioned to react because that's just how the narrative is. Mm -hmm. It's not it's not okay. And we shouldn't have to prove anything, but I just hope that any of the women that you asked to be on this podcast have the courage and the strength to tell their story, because I think this will help people see what, what is really happening and see how much of a problem it is, whether it's, you know, emotional abuse or physical abuse, it's still domestic violence and it still is unacceptable. Yeah. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. Um, Nira, thank you so much for coming on here again. Um, and, you know, I'm going to like conclude this podcast and just say that um, I'm super grateful for you. I could say it like a million times. I feel like I just want to keep saying like, thank you, thank you, thank you for sharing your story. But um, next week we will continue on uh, with a, another story of an incredible woman who has endured domestic violence and we're going to continue on with these stories so thank you for listening and we will uh, tune in next thursday thanks nira thank you